Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Web3 Business Podcast, helping you navigate the future of business. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Web3 Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Steph Alinsug. And we're going to talk about decentralized media and really what does media look like in a decentralized Web3 space. If you are a creator of any kind of media in the Web2 world and you're wondering how can this work in the world of Web3 when it comes to DAOs and when it comes to NFTs, I think you're going to find this absolutely fascinating. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. We have some amazing guests coming up. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Steph Alinsic. Helping you to simplify your Web3 journey, here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Steph Alinsig. If you don't know who Steph is, she's a DAO media expert who leads media efforts at the Seed Club. And if you don't know what the Seed Club is, it helps builders launch DAOs. She's also host of the Decent Media Podcast. Steph, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm so well. Thanks for having me, Michael. I'm super excited that you're here. Today, Steph and I are going to explore media in a decentralized world. Now, before we go there, I want to hear your story. Start wherever you want to start. How the heck did you get into Web3 and DAOs and all this fun stuff? Oh, man, start wherever I want to start. Boy, we can, <laughs> there's lots of places to start there. Well, yeah, I, you know, I onboarded to Web3 last fall, basically at the height of the NFT bull market. And prior to that, I'd spent about a decade plus building 
mission-driven brands um, in Web2. So, you know, I, I did this through full-spectrum brand strategy from, you know, graphic design to content creation to social media management, which, I mean, as you know, I've, your you know, social media examiner is one of my very old pieces in my toolkit. But yeah, I, I had been hearing about crypto and Web3 and finally just my, my curiosity peaked. I listened to an episode of A16Z's podcast on NFTs and they cover tokens end to end. And they started talking about this idea of a DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And it like was immediately legible to me because they essentially fused my experience of branding and storytelling and community building. But in particular, I've always had an interest in media and storytelling and, and how social media of, you know, the mid audience sort of required brands to develop this content creation mechanism and have that included in their brand strategy. But overall was like very dissatisfied with the arc that social media had taken, you know, in the way in which like email sort of became the way to keep customer information and maintain that direct line to, to customers. So hearing about DAOs and the ways that tokens sort of enabled this new connection to community building and to your customer was just, again, immediately legible and just got me so excited about what was possible with, with media and, and branding. So tell us about how in the world you connected with Seed Club. Like, tell us that story. How'd you find Jess? How did I find Jess? So one of the things that I am really good at is basically poking around the internet and talking to people. And it's like one of, one of my superpowers. And so when I onboarded to when I onboarded to Web3, that essentially looked like me just standing up a Twitter account under the pseudonym Crypto Honey, which is crypto and then H-U-N-3-Y. It was like a play on CryptoPunks. I thought it was really clever at the time, but it's kind of funny to, to look back a year later and it feels a little silly, but I'm, I'm sticking with it. And yeah, and just was just like started following a bunch of people on Twitter. And when was this? Yeah, this was December, like December 1st or something of 2021. So okay, cool. really a, a year ago. Yeah, zero followers and knew nobody in crypto. And so just like, again, was poking around, poking around crypto Twitter. And, you know, at the time, most DAOs or brands were pointing people to join the Discord to like kind of tap into the community. So I was like, all right, so stood up a Discord account. And similarly, just like joined a ton of discords and same thing, just like talking to people in the chats, you know, that there was a clear need for storytelling at the time. Like there weren't that many writers or people creating content. I was like, well, that's something I'm, I can do in my sleep. I've been doing for over a decade. So why not? And so I just started, you know, writing or, or doing things here and there. And, you know, just, it was like one of those stories you just happen to be in the right place at the right time, talking to the right people, doing the right things. And you know, a year later, here I am. So it's, it's, I feel like it's often a dissatisfactory story for folks because they kind of want the roadmap. They're like, okay, how can we do the same thing? And I'm like, really, it's just a matter of following your curiosity and talking to people. Okay. So you went ahead and got involved in discord and that's where you met Jess Loss, I would imagine. And somehow, some way you guys started collaborating together and that ultimately led to him offering you a job. I mean, can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, totally. So it's this, this like right place, right time, right people thing takes the shape of me basically doing some work in collaboration with someone else who was in a sub DAO of Seed Club at the time. And in basically doing work with that person, they were like, you know what? And they worked at Seed Club at the time. This person's name is John Silky. Hey, John, if you're listening to this. And uh, yeah, John was just so impressed with this like little thing I wrote that he was like, why don't you come try contributing over to Seed Club? And I, you know, was a little, I was a little suspicious at first because I'm always a little, yeah, like just if, if I don't know the people that are there, I'm, I'm like, oh, I don't really know if it makes sense for me to invest time and, and energy in a thing where I don't know the people that well. So I was like, let me first talk to Jess. Let me meet this person. Let me meet the team and see if it, see if it's a good fit. And yeah. And so he just put me in touch with Jess and I started contributing sort of part-time just 
you know, doing light content creation. I eventually took over the Twitter and then went on full time two months later. And then after about five months of contributing, basically just pushed my way through to to what we called what we called the time we're stewards. So essentially just leading this component of work. And it really came out of a like a uh, yeah, like I, I'm looking at the breadth of this organization. I see an opportunity. I see an opening and I see a way in which I can really clearly contribute value. And just pursuing that sort of relentlessly. And and yeah, and then that's that's really it's just a story of of that. So let me ask you this question. Were you at the time, did you have another job somewhere else? Was this a side hustle? And also what kind of writing, what kind of cr- content were you helping to create for them? And what are you doing these days? So I at the time, December, when I when I first onboarded into crypto in uh, December 21, I was running my own boutique studio at the time. And I had done my time, you know, working for smallish corporate, done my time working for nonprofits or think tanks. And so I was doing my own thing, taking on clients and just running a small studio. And after about a month or two of, again, just like kind of knocking around crypto Twitter, knocking around discords, I realized that this is the thing I want to be spending my time working on. And so I made the decision January 1 of 22, basically to shut down my studio within a couple months. So by the time I was I was contributing part-time for Seed Club at around February. I was at the same time letting go of the clients, like kind of closing out the work that I'd been doing with with the set of clients that I still had. And so it really was this kind of like elegant transition. So I spent those those first two months that I was part-time, I was like really shutting down the studio, you know, closing out projects with clients and then was able to go in full-time the beginning of April. And yeah, and so what, what kind of content was I creating? You know, really it was like, just writing tweets, writing copy, um, kind of doing this thing that I do a lot when I'm new with a client uh, is, is just witnessing and paying attention and listening and looking for patterns and hearing the words that people are using and trying to understand why those words and what's the story behind those words and where can we take those words further. And and then also at the same time, paying attention to the way in which the public or the, or the folks on Crypto Twitter were, were perceiving Seed Club and seeing where the gaps were from where Seed Club was desiring to be perceived and what was actually, what the actual perception was. And um, and so that was my first, uh, my first sort of like order of business was to just close that gap uh, to, to bring those two things into greater alignment. It's just a way that I've always run my like initial relationship with clients is, is just starting by closing that gap. And then from there going and expanding into, into new territories and, and making those tendrils a little bit longer. So now take us up to the present. Like what exactly are you doing for the Seed Club today? So for Seed Club today, yeah, you know, we're we're about to embark on, let's see, it's 2023. So we're, you know, Q1. We're gonna be in the, the thick of planning out our first quarter and then also our our big 2023 year, you know, def- definitely different market conditions. So we're slowly but also urgently or intentionally adjusting our strategy. But Really, that just it, what I do now. It's just lead, you know, continuing to lead on a really dynamic media strategy. So that covers the four verticals that I that I sort of oversee: our uh, editorial, brand uh, productions, which includes our podcast and video, and then social and publicity. So it's a full spectrum of work. And you know, previously we were running those verticals with like individual leads on each of you know on each of those uh, teams. We've since sort of constructed quite a bit just to really, really respond to what we see as a, a, a need to, to continue to focus and, and really, and really emphasize for quality of, of product that we're shipping, right? Because it's, it's just a different strategy you have to take when you, when you're working in these kinds of market conditions. So, but we're still going to continue to execute on that dynamic strategy. And I'm really excited actually to, 
to facilitate that with just like a way more, a smaller and more focused group of individuals to really put things out that are highly resonant with folks. Well, first of all, thank you for allowing us to go deep on your story because there's so many people listening to this podcast right now that are like you. They're creators or they're writers or they're editors or they're involved in the Web2 world and they're trying to figure out a way to take some of their gifts and skills and apply it into this Web3 world. And for them, your story is inspiring. So talk to us a little bit about what's wrong with media from your perspective in Web2. I think I kind of know because I run a Web2 media company, but I would love to hear your perspective. Oh, man, I feel, I feel like I'm like, give, you know, giving this spiel to a, a, a juggernaut, a very like, you know, experienced person in this world. So yeah, take this all the grain of salt. But yeah, you know, from from where I sit and I and I look at both my experience with Web2 media and then also seeing the opportunity ahead of us in Web3, I think about Web2 media as having this, this sort of trilemma where it's like pick two of the three things that you can actually do really well. And anyone who, who nails all three is really going to the moon, right? But no one has quite figured out how to nail all three yet. And so those three things are distribution, tools for creation, and revenue share. So if you think about distribution, that that's sort of like built in, right? That's the network. So that's like the, you know, your follower count, that's any of your, anytime that anything's liked or impressions, that's your, that's your distribution, your, the, pro, the, the platform sort of provides that for you. And then tools for creation, that's a, that's a really critical moat for social media, right? We see TikTok really leaning in and, and, and leading there with their video, their video creation tools in a way that like Meta and others and, and YouTube just like haven't quite figured out how to nail. And if we think about even Instagram way back, right? That like the thing that was like the big insight for them was enabling way more people to become photographers through the through the use of of filters and and utilizing the the camera that's in your pocket, which right, it's like what's the best camera? It's the one you have on you. So right, distribution, tools for creation. And then the final one is revenue share, which very few platforms have actually figured this out, right? Like sometimes you hear monetization and it's like actually most platforms have figured out monetization, right? Through ads or subscriptions. But actually the next level down is revenue share. Like are they are they then waterfalling that revenue down to the folks, the creators, the hard side of the network? And most most are not. You know, YouTube is is taking a stab at this, OnlyFans, and I think Twitch might do a little bit, but no one has quite aligned all three of those things, distribution tools for creation and revenue share. And to me, I'm like, there's, you know, whoever, whatever web two, whatever web two social figures that out is, you know, you guys are, you guys have got it. So this is fascinating to hear you identify these things. Distribution. First of all, there's a real challenge with distribution now on the social platforms, especially for certain kinds of content, right? Almost all the social platforms de-distribute or minimize the reach of any content that doesn't live on platform, right? We learned this the hard way you link to your blog or anything else. There's almost no chance you're going to get any distribution. Tools for creation is also intriguing because the platforms used to make it really easy for you to do it, but now not so much anymore, right? Like, for example, there was notes on Facebook, which were really popular, which would make it really easy for you to, to create content on Facebook. Uh, there was instant articles, which are being eliminated, right? So there's a lot of this kind of stuff that is now the tools for creation now seem to be by third-party providers, right? And distribution obviously is the big thing we all want as marketers, but it's almost the impossible thing to get these days without paying money. And then like you said, monetization, YouTube is the only one that I would say is even close to this, right? Because right now, as of today, 55% of the long-form content I forget what they call them, the longs or whatever, on YouTube, 55% of that revenue goes back to the creator. But with shorts, they flipped it where it's only 45%. So this is a struggle. So what's the result of the, I mean, this this trilemma concept that you're talking about, um, 
you know, I get what it means, but like, I'm curious from your perspective, like, do you feel like it's all kind of falling apart in the traditional web two world? Because you've got a lot of major media entities that have gone out of business because Facebook has stopped traffic to their site. Twitter has now revealed impressions. You know, when you tweet, they show you exactly how many impressions that you get. And you'll start to notice the stuff that doesn't have a link in it gets more impressions than the stuff that does have a link in it. Just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I mean, my take is like web two social is not going anywhere. Like like we'd be, we'd be like intellectually dishonest if we claimed that like there was a going to be like a radical end to web two social and that, and that, you know, anything, anything that we're doing in web three was going to, was going to somehow just like make those things non-existent. That, that's just not, it's not true. I see sort of two things happening, sort of like the dissolving of of these web two social platforms is one, they're just like, they're just like not fun to be on. Like I really do not enjoy being on Instagram. I really do not enjoy being on TikTok and 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 or TikTok not so much, but Twitter. I really don't, I really don't enjoy being on either of those platforms. But because of the distribution, I, I have to, right? It, it's like part of the job. It's part of being someone who's in media, um, being someone who's committed to building a personal brand. It's like you have to be on those platforms. So that's part of the like, you know, being intellectually dishonest, saying that those things are going to go away. They, it's highly unlikely they will, right? But they're still just like totally. There's like the the sense of delight in discovery is just gone. TikTok has has done a better job at the sense of discovery and, and distribution, but still, it's it's just it's you know the the quality of what you're discovering there. I think also speaks a lot to what the the sense of enjoyment. And then the other part that you're pointing to, back when I was you know taking classes in J school and there was this whole like, you know, utilizing the social media platforms as your distribution for your media site, right? So like, you would, you then would have to optimize all of your stuff, all of your content to fit within some sort of either embed or, or just to have some sense of I, I, clickbait is, is too reductive, if you know what I mean, but just a sense of like attractiveness to the to the users of social media platforms. And now that we're seeing that go away, we're watching, you know, the, the verge has really has really gone after this in a big way. We're watching media sites really try and go back and, and bring folks right to their to their sites, right? To have direct traffic to the sites rather than trying to rely on the, the social networks for distribution. So I see Web3 is playing a really critical role in, in solving for this continued dissolve. I don't see it as necessarily just, you know, getting rid of that altogether. But, and this is what excited me about Web3. This is why I like shut down my studio to go all in. I was like, this is really the next, the next evolution of media and of social media is Web3. Perfect. So let's talk about that. Like, what is the media opportunity in your mind when it comes to Web3? Yeah. So, you know, I talked about this, this trilemma in Web2 and, you know, Web3 naturally solves for this, right? So if we, if we just to review back to the trilemma of Web2, it's distribution tools for creation and revenue share. I'm going to start with revenue share. In Web3, this actually gets twisted into value retention and that's all enabled through tokens, right? So, Let's let's look at a YouTube for a second, where you get the monetization, you get the revenue share from YouTube, right? But you don't you don't have any of the the value retained in the brand of YouTube itself, right? Imagine if you actually had like equity share in YouTube, like that's incredible, and you could maintain that connection to that value over time. So with tokens, we have the opportunity to that, that's just that's just sort of built in, right? That you can you then now have continued uh, value retention in the brand itself. So 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 that's like. Already, we're we're off to the races with with Web three. Give us a little example of what you're talking about, because for some people, it might be hard for them to wrap their head around what you just said. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to I'm going to jump to y'all of I'm sure I'm sure nouns is something that that folks are will be really familiar with. I'm trying to think of an example that's not super obscure. So the nouns model that was you know sort of blew up over the summer continues to have a lot of attention put towards it. So nouns is built on this idea that uh, every there's a there's a perpetual auction mechanism. So every single day there's one NFT, you know, emitted and anyone can bid on this on this NFT. And then if you if you win the bid, that's then yours and then what you get access to is a shared treasury, right? But then you also then you you have this asset that's that's yours now. Like you you own it yourself, right? I'm not going to explain the sort of value of NFTs overall, but but hopefully the you know the audience can understand sort of the basic mechanics there. So so me, you know, me as a, a potential nouns holder, I now have perpetual attachment to the the value of the nouns brand itself, right? So imagine if you had that in Nike, or if we had that in Instagram, uh, those of us who are actively creating the content and making Instagram valuable, like that, imagine if we had actual value retention in the Instagram brand itself. So that's that's like a, a high level example of, of how that sort of turned on its head in Web3. Cool. So keep going as far as how this solves the trilemma. Yeah, so that's uh, value retention, and then if you go to distribution, so again, that's that's again, it's it's sort of built in through the network effects of tokens. I think that there are some folks who will blanket say that you know tokens themselves have network effects built in. I think that that's a little reductive, but there's you know the fact that like you can me as a, I'll use nouns as an example again, like you know if I was a nouns holder, I'd be able to go and any other nouns holder, there's just already a sense of like, okay, we have shared incentive alignment here. And so I'm going to talk about your project. I'm going to talk about the things that you're doing and you're going to talk about things that I'm doing. And then popped into the nouns ecosystem, many different places online, and we have shared distribution that way. And then also as the as the meme and the brand itself expands, we continue to tap into that distribution. So, and that's that's again enabled by the incentive alignment of the tokens themselves. By the way, that's really important to talk about, right? Like the the fact that I'll take proof as an example. I belong to proof, right? And I've had other members of proof on the podcast, not because they belong to proof. But because it just so happened that we both belong to proof and there's only a thousand people, quote unquote, or tokens, you know, in this proof ecosystem, right? And it's in the best interest of everybody who belongs to proof to kind of support each other because it increases the value of proof overall, right? And because I hold a token in proof and it's worth X amount of money, it's in the best interest of all the holders to do what's in the best interest of proof so that the value goes up. I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about here a little bit, right? Exactly, exactly. And I think for folks who are not necessarily as, as deep into crypto or as not crypto native, I think another you know, maybe good analogy here would be like a religious community is one example. And and I I say this less about the like the the dogmatic component, but like think about so I, I'm full disclosure, I'm not I'm not religious. I don't have any affiliation, but I have friends who are, right? And anytime that you let's say you're, you know, you're Jewish or you're Catholic or something, you move to a new area, what do you do? The first thing you do is you try and go find the congregation, then you meet people. And so similarly to your experience with proof, right? Like I'm not a proof holder, but I can totally imagine myself as someone as a proof holder being like, oh, you're a proof holder, and you immediately have just like greater affiliation and more of that sense of attachment. And now it's 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 codified, it's memorialized on the blockchain and also has this piece of art that like you can then put, you know, place your identity over it. So there's so I think there's just like so much untapped power in tokens and um and folks, you really have to experience it for yourself until you like totally understand it, right? Kind of like kind of like a religious community in some ways. Yeah. For sure. I like I like that analogy. Full disclosure, I am in a religious community as a Christian, and there isn't a financial motivation, but there is a motivation nonetheless, right? Which is a shared value system, right? So I 
feel like that is the other side of this is when you belong to an exclusive community, whether it's tokenized or not in the case of a religious community, there's that shared value, right? You are aligned with that community. And as a result, there might be distribution. You could say the same thing for graduates of universities, right? Certain graduates of university alumni organizations, they want to support each other because they want to support everyone who went to that particular university, right? Yeah, exactly. I, and I think maybe even the alumni organization is, is even a stronger one or, or more legible to more folks, right? That like, like I can I can totally identify with that, that if I meet someone who's an NYU grad, I just have like immediate, you know, greater affiliation with them. Exactly. So distribution has value because there's a limited amount of tokens or some sort of value associated with this group. So we've got that distribution. Now the distribution, we should declare, it's not the same as social, right? Why don't you clarify that a little bit? It's not guaranteed, just like social isn't guaranteed. As a matter of fact, you could belong and get absolutely nothing for distribution, right? Well, exactly. And I, th I think that your clarification there is really important, right? Because I think a lot of us assume that distribution is implied both in tokens and on social, right? But in social, you're up against an algorithm that's so super opaque. You really have no idea. You know, we know about shadow banning. We know, to your point about earlier about links, you know, if you put a link in the first in your first tweet, that tweet is just like not shown as much. And we see this all across the board and it's so opaque. And then similarly with tokens, it's like, yeah, there's no, there's no guarantee that like, I'm going to, if, if I find myself being a nouns holder today, that I suddenly am just going to like, you know, shoot to the moon on my distribution. No, it still requires, you have to create something of value. And that actually relates to this idea of the tools for creation, right? That like, you still have to be making something of meaning and of value to people. And the, you know, the tools for creation. So, you know, again, in, in web two, we saw, we saw TikTok really having the mode around the video creation tools. And in Web3, the thing I want to, again, sort of add a twist on is we, we we should expand our understanding of tools for creation beyond like in-app user experience or user interface. And that the tools for creation are really sort of like, what are the resources that are provided to you? And, and, in, and okay, I'm going to get a little bit nerdy here for a second, but I'll come back, I swear. Um, tools for creation, it'll, it's also another way of talking about governance, which then relates to your token design, right? So let's talk about the nouns example. So with nouns, the tools for creation there are, I become a nouns holder, I then have access to a shared treasury, I can, I can put up a proposal that maybe I want to go throw up a skate park in my community and I want to put a, a set of noggles, which is the noggles or the glasses that the nouns are, are famous for, that's sort of their meme. And I want to throw a set of noggles in the, in the skate park and like that can get approved, right? That's just like voted on one, one token equals one vote. Yeah, so I'm not going to get too deep into the governance weeds here, but so that I would, I would look at that and say, actually, that's a tool for creation, right? Because what you're doing is you're enabling folks to build something and to create something of meaning. Whereas on TikTok, it's something you do in-app. Whereas in DAOs, it's something that you do via shared resources and, and shared knowledge and capital. And maybe, in fact, you do create something that has an in-app UX or UI. But really what it's about is this, you know, bringing people together to then create things out of nothing, essentially. So the tools for creation in this example have to do with the funding really more than anything else, right? The potential funding of the creation, assuming it's approved. And then with that money, you can go out there and hire individuals to be able to help create this. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, I would say funding. And, and the other thing, I'll just add an asterisk is that actually with the nouns ecosystem, anybody can put up a proposal. I could put up a proposal to Prop House and say, I want to go build a skate park, even if I'm not a nouns holder and folks could, could approve that, that funding. I'd say it's capital allocation, but I think it's, it's also knowledge and resource sharing, right? So on the media side of things, I, we were just, you know, at Seed Club, uh, we just closed out our fifth accelerator cohort. And I was advising for four different projects, one of which is a new decentralized media DAO, super excited about them. They're called Take Up Space. 
And the thing I was trying to support them in, in realizing was like, when you guys are thinking about your tools for creation, like set down the financial resources and think about the knowledge capital that you have around podcast production. And imagine if you could equip anyone who comes into your decentralized media DAO with that knowledge, right? You then basically pass down the ability to folks who are coming in to become their own podcast creators. And so I see that as a version of tools for creation as well, right? That essentially, you know, me, internet person, internet anon, have zero understanding of how to produce a podcast. I joined Tusk DAO, I joined Take Up Space DAO, and then all of a sudden I have access to the shared knowledge base of how to create a podcast. I could stand it up using those resources, and maybe it has nothing to do with capital. And what it really has to do with is, is again, those, those sort of like tools, the shared knowledge. So I'd add that twist to it as well. Let's talk about creating media, decentralized media a little bit. We talked about this concentric circles concept when we were prepping for this interview. Talk to us a little bit about this so people can start to wrap their head around how media is created in a decentralized way. So this this feels very related to my, you know, talking about take up space just now. So my my whole thesis is that any DAO needs to have its own media engine where just, you know, just like in web two, brands need to have a content strategy, you need to have a social media strategy in DAOs, you need to have a media strategy as well. And so again, the way that we look at it at C Club is across these sort of four verticals of editorial productions, which includes audio and video, social and publicity, and then brand. For folks, when they're thinking about DAOs, which again, we, we think about decentralized autonomous organization, that idea of decentralization comes out in front. Folks immediately are like, okay, if we're going to stand up a media arm, we need to go right to decentralizing the content creation, the sort of sense of like permissionless content creation. And what I was watching over the course of last year was the way that DAOs were really struggling with the quality of the content that was being created, the consistency, and then it just it created all of this additional work with, with very sort of like low ROI on the actual content that was being created. And so was was watching this pattern emerge that actually we, we think about decentralized media as being like equated with decentralized content creation. But there are these three, again, yeah, concentric circles of opportunity with decentralized media. And so content creation is actually is actually at the core and the last thing that you should decentralize. And that there are these two other circles that are, that they're sort of like wider, wider out in the in the stack. And the first one being distribution. So you've got distribution, and then you have a smaller circle in the center, which is curation. And then you have your uh, creation at the very, very heart. So just to think of some examples of how that looks in practice. So decentralized distribution. This is actually just like the place where all DAOs should start. It's so it's so simple, right? I think about uh, Nouns is actually a great example. And then Boys Club is a, just like, first of all, I love Boys Club. <laughs> Everyone should check out Boys Club. Uh, but Boys Club, they're, they're really great at decentralized distribution. So anytime that a podcast comes out, token holders, NFT holders, anyone in the community, my Twitter feed just explodes with people talking about it. They're just like, did you hear the new podcast episode or their newsletter? Same thing. They just, they rely or they, they allow the community to become the storytellers and to distribute the meme of voice club, to distribute the, the narrative. And, and you see this in nouns as well, that like nouns holders are just the most maxi people ever. They just distribute, distribute, distribute. Let's pause on this. So first of all, there's just three circles on the outer edge of the target is distribution. The next one is curation and the one in the middle is creation, right? And on the distribution side of it, which is the biggest of the circles, if you will, the outer edge, right? Because it's largest. What I'm hearing you say is that the NFT holders or the DAO members, right? And it's either, right? Are actively sharing the content, presumably on Twitter, but perhaps on other platforms as well, right? So if there's an article created or a video created or a podcast created. We see this, for example, with the Board Ape Yacht Club as they're dropping all these videos right now on Twitter and the, all the 
support Ape Yacht Club members are going nuts sharing the trial of Jimmy the Monkey and all this, whatever the heck it is called, you know. So this is the kind of creating kind of hype and buzz with content that is officially created by the entity. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Exactly. And and there's we have precedents for this in Web2, right? I mean, Minions, I mean, Disney IP, just like the way in which people create meaning out of brands as a way to, it's almost like this like cultural FOMO, right? That like you're on the in because you're talking about this thing that has great meaning and and to you and, and, and folks on the outside are like, oh, wait a minute, like, what does what this Minions meme? I want to understand this. I, want, I need to see this movie clearly or like, I need to listen to this Boys Club podcast. I need to get a board ape. You know, it's so, so yeah, relying on your community members to engage in that distribution. That is like, low-hanging fruit for decentralization as it relates to media. And then so the next layer in is, is curation. And curation is actually the, the spot where I find the most exciting. And I'm really excited to see like more experiments run next year. The two that I'll, I'll mention here are Forefront, another DAO, and then Jump as another an, a media. Or I think maybe you've actually had someone from Jump on the pod. Yeah, I've had the founder of Jump, Jeff Kaufman, and I belong to Jump. So I'm familiar with what they're doing. Yeah, you know, but 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 not everybody else is. So go ahead and tell tell everybody what they're doing. Yeah. So Jump is a Jump is a, a branding and marketing DAO, and they have recently just shipped um, Jump News, which I am so excited about. And really, if anyone's listening to this, you have to go check it out. And yeah, so just to kind of tie it to to curation and Forefront is another great example of this. I'll talk about Forefront really quick. So. The way that Forefront used to run their curation is basically if you if you had a token, you had access to the Discord, right? So that's sort of you you suddenly have access to the community. There used to be a channel in the Discord where anyone could drop links into that channel. And, I, and actually, I think it's the same in Jump, but people can just you drop links, you find you read something that's interesting, right? I mean, everyone knows that feeling of like reading something on the internet and wanting to pass it to a friend. But there's still this layer of someone within the DAO, within like sort of the core leadership, whether that's at Jump or Forefront, that's looking through this channel and pulling out the links that feel most aligned and most relevant for the brand. And so there is still a layer of sort of like quality control on, on the brand itself, on the brand presence and the narrative, but it's fundamentally uh, sort of seeded by the community in, in decentralized curation. And then from there, you know, both Forefront and Jump then take these links that they've, they've then selected and they, they put it into a newsletter and ship it out. And so then me as someone who, you know, I'm not actively curating in those communities, but I get those newsletters. I'm like, great, this is everything I need to know as it relates to like the most important media and marketing and branding from Jump. Okay, this is everything I need to know that relates to like the cutting edge of, of social and tokenized communities from Forefront. But they're all links that have been curated by the community. So and there's, there's just such a big design space around curation. Um, so yeah, so that's sort of like the next layer in. Real quick on Forefront, if people want to check out Forefront, where do they find them? Yeah, Forefront, they're on Twitter. I think it's underscore Forefront. And they're actually doing a new membership NFT component, which is it's really exciting. And that's another way to sort of get tapped into participating in the curation and also receiving the newsletter. So now it's it's token gated. So yeah, that's that's a really great one if you're interested in tokenized communities or social DAOs. Okay, so we've talked about distribution and really about engaging the community into sharing out official whatever it is that your community is doing. We've talked about curation, which I love this concept of having everyone share into some sort of like a channel of whatever they find interesting and then having someone go through and curate the best of the best and maybe add to it whatever stuff isn't in that channel and ultimately coming out with a regular a newsletter. Zeneca does this as well with Zen Academy with a daily newsletter, which I think is really cool. And I love this because it's essentially community created and curated, right? Which is what makes it different than a traditional entity where you have maybe a 
full-time staff member doing it. This is all being essentially, and I would imagine sometimes there could even be a shout out to community members, right? And that would be a great way to facilitate more of this, right? Yeah, absolutely. And Boys Club used to do this where they would do like a community member highlight. And that again, that's like a great way to get distribution, you know, like me as someone who's trying to build, you know, X sort of profile, like suddenly your your information, your 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 spotlighted and shipped to, you know, you know, 10,000 plus subscribers, like that's all because you're a member and you've, you've clearly created some sort of value for the organization. It's like that. Yeah. The, these kinds of like small little twists on, on these network effects is like really what's possible in web three. So let's talk about content creation, right? Which is at the core of the, this uh, concentric target, if you will. I know a lot about that, but from your perspective <laughs> as a um, web three entity, how ought content be created differently? Yeah, so this is the content creation piece. Again, we saw this trend last year where, where DAOs and and folks were going immediately to decentralizing their content creation, which I think is is a very risky thing to do, especially as an early stage brand. And again, this is something that I'm sure you know and the audience could all relate to. You're talking about like mirror.xyz, that kind of stuff with the written content, or what do you mean by that exactly? Yeah, yeah. So mirror mirror is, is more of a, yeah, it's just like a very, it's a Web3 native like p- publishing platform, right? Um, they now have subscriptions built in. So that that's certainly a tool you could use to basically distribute your your content create or your your actual content. So maybe just to give a specific example. So we can, you know, at C Club, all of the content is basically created by myself and then Jess, who's our instigator, and then maybe a few other folks. Um, but we keep we really keep that group pretty small and pretty curated, really from a, 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 a like a brand proliferation standpoint. It's like we want to we want to make sure that our brand is strong, especially that we're early stage. And and there are some folks who may always keep that content creation sort of, you know, close to home. Water and Music is another really great example. Water and Music is a, a music research DAO. They're, they were previously in Web2, but really, really excellent, high-quality research reports on the music industry. Even though they're a DAO, all of their research reports are really, you know, every, everything is passed through the founder, Sherry, and, and has that that level of, of quality control. And so they, they'll lean on other things like distribution or curation in order to, to engage in that community decentralization. But the creation itself is still sort of centralized. But Again, I think that the the importance here, right, because we can look in Web 2 and be like, yeah, that sounds like Web 2. It's like centralized content creation. And I'm like, 100%. Imagine if like for the Times, you know, you were for the New York Times, if you could curate articles for the New York Times, right? Like that were not actually published on the Times. They were published elsewhere on the internet, but still felt important and relevant to news, you know? Maybe that's not a super perfect example, but you know that that's that's like kind of what we're getting at here is that Web three enables these just like wider bands of of participation in in building brand and building media. You know, I'm drawing a blank on the name, but I had this gentleman on my podcast recently, and he is part of Zen Academy, and he's part of the three 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 club, which is the core center of their entire thing. He partnered with Zeneca to create exclusive YouTube videos that live on his personal channel, the creator's channel, but are distributed exclusively by Zeneca as part of the community, right? So this is where I think you could potentially start to find creators inside of the community that have special skills, maybe a writer or a video creator, right? Or an audio expert or whatever, or someone who's got a great voice and loves to do podcasts. And this is where I would imagine you could bring them in to your core, right? And have them be, even if they're not, technically employees you could enter into some sort of agreement with them to create content that's exclusively sponsored by media x brand is that something you're seeing happen 
Yeah. So, I mean, we're, you know, I think rehash is another really good example. I don't know if you've had anyone on from rehash. They're, they're a really excellent podcast now, but they're exploring this idea of, you know, so rehash is is founded by uh, Diana Chen and she runs a podcast where she interviews people in the web three space. And there's a whole like actual governance component where people vote on the guests. And it's, it's really fun. They use a joked out ecosystem, but the thing I'm most interested here is the way in which they're going to continue to expand who gets to create content under the rehash sort of brand, right? And so I think that this this actually feels really relevant. Like if we think about something like a Crooked Media or like a Gimlet or a Vox podcast network, where you know there's you have you have the sort of like founding hosts, the centralized hosts who really bring the brand forward and. But they also are the ones that are capturing most of the, you know, retaining most of the brand value, even if you have folks who are coming on and creating content under that, right? For the most part, they're not getting like any sort of persistent brand value. They're they're certainly getting some sort of compensation and it's most likely ad-driven, but there's no sense of like persistent brand value. So if we look at rehash or if we look at the possibilities within Web3, you could have someone like, let's say myself, I'm a, I'm a part of the, the rehash DAO. I have an interest in standing up a podcast and I stand it up within the rehash ecosystem. I now, of course, you know, we'll get, we'll get some sort of compensation, but then I also have persistent brand retention, persistent value retention in the rehash brand. Then I also have governance and how we move forward with future podcasts or future, you know, future brand extensions. And so, yeah, we definitely see that happening as like, People are starting to experiment once you get that sort of early product market fit, community market fit off the ground. You can then start expanding into these other, you know, okay, who else can come and create valuable content here? And how can we make sure that there continue to be values aligned? I think we're seeing more of that next year. Yeah, it was Daniel Tenner, by the way, who I forgot his name. So sorry about that, Daniel. So when we look at this concept of creating content, it sounds like start with distribution if you don't have anybody to create content, right? And then go to curation, right? And then the ultimate goal is to get to creating your own content. Is that accurate? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's how I would advise all the, the media DAOs that are coming through or any or really any DAO that's attempting to stand up a media vertical. It's just like, start with distribution, have everyone be a storyteller of your community, have them run your community story through their filter and then engage in curation. And then when you're ready, once you've got a really solid brand, you've got a solid community, you have a strong POV, then you can start inviting folks into that creation process. But yeah, that's typically how I, how I advise DAO projects and in, in engaging in the decentralized media world. Steph, this has been really fascinating and a lot of like brain twisting for a lot of people to rethink how they do what they do in this Web3 world. And if people want to follow you on the socials, do you have a preferred platform? And if they want to connect with you at Seed Club or any other way, how would you love for them to connect with you? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I, I love talking to people. I really do. And I also love having my mind changed. I love hearing, I, I just, I love jamming about anything as it relates to media, especially Web3 media. But so I'm personally on Twitter and on Farcaster, increasingly more and more on Farcaster at Crypto Honey, which is Crypto H-U-N-3-Y. I'm also writing body language on Substack. So it's just like a you know, traditional newsletter. And then of course I host Decent Media. And then, yeah, give us a follow at C-Club. We're going to do some pretty incredible things in you know 2023. We're on Twitter and Farcaster at C-Club HQ. And you can also subscribe to our newsletter on Substack. And then you know, of course, subscribe to our podcast, Building at the Edges, where we do, Jess, our instigator, host conversations with the top Web3 thinkers and builders. And maybe, Michael, maybe we'll have you on someday. I would love to. Steph, Alinsug, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights and answering all my millions of questions. We're way better because of it. Thank you so much, Michael. I had a blast. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash W54. If you're new to the show, would you be sure to follow us? And would you let your friends know about this show? 
I'm at Stelsner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelsner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Web3 Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelsner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world. The Web3 Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Web3 Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.